0: Well, good morning to you. Uh, My name is Matt Luloyan. I'm the pastor of Liberty Church uh, here in Harrisburg. Uh, If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I would look forward to to remedying that uh, after the service today or sometime soon. Uh, If you have Bibles with you, um, we're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning. Psalms chapter 1, or the first Psalm. If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, uh, that's page 448. You can go ahead and make your way there. These, uh, these next few weeks, uh, we're going to be doing a few standalone sermons uh, from the Psalms. So if you've been with us, uh, we just finished up this series going through the Gospel of John from start to finish, uh, and then in mid-May, you know, in a few weeks when mid-May rolls around, we're going to start, we're going to spend about nine weeks in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Um, so if, you, if you're into lions and fiery furnaces and things of that nature, uh, you have that to look forward to in a few, few more weeks. Uh, But between finishing up John and starting Daniel, I thought it would just really serve us well uh, as a church to spend a few weeks in in the Psalms. Psalms, I don't know how familiar you are or are not with Psalms, Um, Psalms is a book of songs for the people of God. It's a book of songs for the people of God. There are 150 hymns uh, and poems written by people like King David and Asaph and other worship leaders from among the Israelite people. Um, Psalms is meant to help shape our worship of God. It's meant to help shape our worship. But even more than that, even more helpful than that, and this is what I hope you really take away from these few weeks we have together in the Psalms. Psalms validates the human experience. Psalms validates the human experience. All these different emotions, experiences, things that we walk through in life, Psalms is God giving us precedent, it's God giving us companionship in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. So there, there are psalms of lament, full of grief, full of mourning. There are song, psalms of, of joyful praise and celebration. There are psalms of thanksgiving, giving gratitude to God. There are also psalms where the writer of the psalms asks God to wipe his enemy off the face of the earth. So if you're feeling that sometimes... There's also a psalm for you in that. You know know how when we experience things at times, we we lack the words to express what it is that's going on in us? Have you ever had that experience? Psalms gives voice to the stirrings of our soul. Psalms gives a voice to what's going on inside of us. And regardless of where you find yourself in life, regardless of what you're going through, you can be certain there is a psalm that gives voice to that. Psalm 1, where we're at today, is really the entry point to the whole book of Psalms. And kind of like we do every week in our gathered worship services, a call to worship, it's kind of like that for the whole book of of Psalms. It's meant to orient us for the rest of what we're going to encounter in this book. To do that, the author of this first Psalm, who we don't know who that is, um, he contrasts the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Or, to use the first word that's actually in this first psalm, he talks about the blessed life. What's the blessed life? So listen for that uh, and follow along with me as I read from Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. God, thank you that you put words to what goes on in our lives, that the Psalms are there for so many reasons to help us shape our worship of you, but also to validate all the different varied experiences and emotions that we go through in life, to validate our experience as people. And I pray that we would, regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, when we come in heavy or we come in joyful, that we would, today and through these weeks that follow in the Psalms, find a place to hook into what the psalmist is experiencing, that we might see that there's precedent for that and companionship for that, that we might cry out to you, both in joy and in lament and in all else that we might be going through in life. We pray that in your name. Amen. So as Christians, um, we have our own insider language. Do we not? We have our own vocabulary. There are these phrases and these words that... um, it don't make sense to anybody unless you've been hanging out around Christianity for a while. Uh, this week, we had um, our home meeting over, and I realized that like I can't even explain this phenomenon without using insider language. So home meeting, right? What is that? It doesn't mean anything to people outside of this. It's a small. If you're new, it's a small group of people that meet in homes during the week, so nothing crazy about that. Um, but a couple folks from our home meeting this week shared how when they first became Christians, and they became Christians as adults... There was this whole new vocabulary to learn, and it was really overwhelming. It's a really overwhelming new vocabulary. It was like learning a new language. You know, and we all know how good Americans are at being bilingual. They're not good at all, right? It's a whole new language. One of the words that, that shows up in this new vocabulary is the word blessed. A couple examples, and maybe you'll be familiar with these, maybe you won't, so I'll try my, I'll try my best to translate as we go. Um, Bless his heart. Bless her heart, either way. This usually follows some kind of derogatory statement about another person. Like, So-and-so is such a moron. Bless his heart. Bless her heart, you know? Uh, it's, it's kind of like Christian vo- Christianese or Christian vocabularies attempt at a get-out-of-jail-free card. Like, where we can say something that's insulting, but then pretend like we just didn't right afterward. It's really similar to, like, if you ever had somebody say... I'm not a racist, but... And then complete the sentence with like something really racist. It's like, no, actually, you're still a racist. You, know, I, you can't just say that, and it kind of gives you a free pass. So bless his heart, bless her heart. Another one, be blessed. Be blessed. Okay, like all of these, um, some people mean that with sincerity when they say that. There's a, there is meaning to that. But also, be blessed can use as like a pious, sweet-sounding stiff arm. Like you encounter someone who's in need, whatever that need might be, and essentially say, hey, I hope that all goes really well for you. I'm just not willing to spend the time and energy to actually help. Be blessed. Be blessed. Here's another one. God has blessed me so much. God has blessed me so much. Translation, my circumstances are awesome right now. My circumstances are fantastic. If my circumstances were awful, it would be because God is not blessing me. But today... The sun is shining. I'm not fighting with my spouse. My kids are parenting themselves. My bank account's full. Just got a promotion at work. God has blessed me. We all want to be blessed, do we not? But what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean? Because even within our own Christianese insider language, we use that word differently to mean different things. So when the Psalms opens, the first line, blessed is the man who our ears perk up a little bit because perhaps we're going to find here some clarification, some direction for what that actually looks like. And by the way, as we go through this, there's nothing exclusively male about that. Uh, The psalmist uses the Hebrew word for man, but really it's just representative of a person who is blessed. So what does it look like to be blessed? What is the essence of blessing? Psalm 1 teaches us that the essence of blessing is found in three things, a standard, a source, and a standing. A standard, a source, and a standing. And we're going to look at those just briefly today. So first, the essence of blessing is found in a standard. All of us measure our lives by some standard, some gauge that tells us if we're on the right track or or not. And that standard, whatever it is, has a huge bearing on what our lives, what our pursuits look like. And if it's off, when it's off, we end up wasting a lot of time and energy. Many of you have been here when Pastor John Alexander has come from Liberty East in Philadelphia. Um, one of his friends shared this analogy of, he's in the business world, of climbing the corporate ladder. And he climbed rung by rung and reached the top of the ladder only to realize in the end that it was leaned against the wrong building the whole time. That's, that's what we're talking about here, the wrong standard, the wrong gauge by which to measure your life. So experiencing a blessed life comes through a very particular standard. And the psalmist here paints this contrast first of what the standard is not, and then circles back around to what the standard actually is. So what is the standard not? Well, it's not walking in the counsel of the wicked. When the psalms refers here to the wicked or to sinners, it's not just talking about people who do wicked things or people who sin. Because that's everybody, right? That's me, that's you, that's everybody. It's talking here about people who aren't even pursuing faithfulness to God. Who aren't even inclined to, or trying to, or have any kind of pursuit of that. They either don't care, or they're hostile toward God. So the standard in which blessing is found starts by not looking to those people as your advisors, as your counselors. Also, uh, the standard is not standing in the way of sinners. So it's not just about advice and whose advice you take or don't take. It's also that we don't want to model our lives after those who aren't pursuing faithfulness to God. We don't want to use them as a model, as an example, as a template for our lives. We don't want to pursue the same patterns of living and thinking. We don't want to go in the same way that they do. Nor is the standard sitting in the seat of scoffers. Scoffer is a word in Scripture used to speak about someone who's even more entrenched in opposition to God than someone who's a sinner or wicked. It's it's kind of another level of intensity of a sinner or a wicked person. And sitting in a seat with a scoffer then would be actually starting to take on that identity yourself. So you're no longer just taking advice. um, You're no longer just mimicking patterns of this person's life. You're actually becoming this yourself. See, there's a a progression here of how precarious a position a person finds themselves in. To walk means that you're still moving. It's a lot easier to redirect your steps when you're still in motion. To stand, though, means that you've stopped moving. And you're now a lot more attentive. You're actually engaging with the way of sinners. And then finally, to sit In the seat of scoffers, now you've not only stopped, you're sitting down. You've pulled up a chair. You've made yourself comfortable. And because this is a scoffer, that means that you now have entrenched yourself with someone who's even more entrenched in their opposition to God. It's even more precarious as we go, as the psalmist steps through these pieces. And that is not, in any of those things, where blessing is to be found. So where is it to be found? Instead, the psalmist says, it's found by delighting in the law of the Lord. Meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. I don't know about you, but when I hear the law of the Lord, my gut level response is most often not delight. The law of the Lord sounds like rules. And I don't like to be told what to do, and probably you don't either. So that sounds more burdensome. That sounds more constraining. It doesn't sound like something we should delight in. But when the psalmist is referring here to the law of the Lord, it's not just about the rules of God. It it certainly is not less than the things that God commands. That's part of it. But there's so much more to it. There's so much more to it. This is the whole counsel of God. The truth of God. The truth that God is the one who has created and called all of it good. The truth that though sin corrupts and breaks and mars and fractures, through Jesus, God is the one who redeems. God is the one who restores. So through his word, through his law, God reveals the story of everything. He reveals the story of everything. And the essence of blessing is found when our eyes are open to that story, to know that story, to delight in that story, to align ourselves with that story. That becomes the the standard for us. It becomes the the measuring rod by which we gauge and understand everything else around us. And and just the fact that we have access to that, just the fact that God would do us the, the gracious favor of giving us access to the story, is meant to bring delight. So not out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of joy, we learn that story, we own that story, we lean into that story, we live that story. So the essence of blessing is found in a standard. Second, it's found in a source. The blessed man is like a tree, verse 3 says, and a tree that is continually connected to a source of water. Okay, This right here is the beautiful complement to what we just read about the standard. Blessing is not just found in a standard, it's found in a source. So God is not some distant, disconnected storyteller. He's not some distant, disconnected rule-giver. He doesn't just say, hey, here's the standard, good luck. Send me a postcard, let me know how that goes as you try to pursue that. No, God enables what he commands. And like a stream of water is the source of life, is the source of fruitfulness for a tree, when God is the source of our life and our fruitfulness, that is what it means to be blessed. That is what it means to live a blessed life a couple notes on this. The, the picture here is a tree in dry, arid climate that still thrives in that environment. And that means that being blessed is not about our circumstances. It's not about our circumstances or our surroundings. And you know how when people say, "You know, God has blessed me so much, it almost always has to do with circumstances. This picture turns that around entirely. It's not about what's going on around you. It's about what you're connected to. It's about who you're connected to at the root level. This tree uh, yields its fruit in its season. In other words, not constantly at the same rate. Not constantly at the same rate. That means that, that blessing isn't primarily about how fruitful your life is in any particular given moment or instance of your life, you take any cross-section of your life and look at it, that's not what blessing is about, how fruitful you are in that moment. Because we're connected to God as the source, our lives will be fruitful, they are fruitful, but not exactly the same way in every same season. So again here, the emphasis is not on what's going on on the outside, it's on what you're connected to at the root level. And then thirdly, in this, because the continual water source, because of this continual water source, because we're continually connected to it, this tree is not just living; it says it prospers. It prospers. Now, there's some who would see in this verse a reason to equate material wealth, material prosperity, with blessing. You know, we're really guilty of this in the West and in the United States, in particular. Um, if you're blessed by God, you will be rich, and you'll have money and you'll have things and you'll be comfortable. There's a lot that's wrong with that. But we'll just focus on what's here in this text today. What what kind of prosperity comes from a tree? What when a tree produces fruit, who benefits from that? It's not the tree. It's not the tree, it's others. So the kind of prosperity that's pictured here in Psalm 1 is not about you, it's about others. You're blessed with this connection to a source of life and fruitfulness, and in turn, you become a blessing to other people. The wicked, on the other hand, it says, are like chaff. They don't have a root. They're not connected to anything. And therefore, they're not fruitful, they're not stable, but they're driven away by the wind. So blessing has everything to do, not just with a standard, but with a source. And then lastly, the essence of blessing is found in a standing. A standard, a source, and a standing. The contrast here in Psalm 1 between the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, it's helpful because it's simple, it's clear, it's also really strong. It's a strong contrast And these last two verses, 5 and 6, they talk about the outcome of these two ways of life. The wicked and sinners won't stand in the judgment. They won't join in the congregation of the righteous, it says. Ultimately, their way will perish, which is a reference to the eternal separation from God that ultimately results from that way of life. See, the psalmist here wants to establish from the opening words of this whole book that the stakes are really high. The stakes are really high. The Psalms are all about worship. The worship of God. And there are those who worship God and there are those who don't. And ultimately, eternally, there will be those who worship God forever and there will be those who won't. And the psalmist doesn't want to mince words about that. He just wants to get that out there from the opening psalm from the book. And what's the difference, though, between those who worship God and will worship God and those who don't? It's that the righteous are known by God. And so you see that in verse 6? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He doesn't just know about them or their way, He knows in an intimate, loving way. He knows them. And God looks upon these people with care and with affection in a way that he doesn't look upon the wicked or the sinners the righteous are given a standing before God that's what it is to be righteous it's to stand in a right place with God and God gives you that standing so do you see where the emphasis is here in psalm 1 i got to see where the emphasis is here when we hear the way of the wicked versus the way of the righteous do we not like naturally immediately gravitate toward like a goofus and gallant mentality right be this don't be that don't be a goofus be a gallant, do the right things, don't do the wrong things. Okay, that's true. That's true. There are things that we are called to be actively invested in in the pursuits of our life, to do things that demonstrate righteousness and not do things that demonstrate wickedness. But this from start to finish is about God. It's about God. He's the one who offers this standard, who makes it accessible. He's the source that makes it possible. He's the one who knows his people that they might actually stand righteous before him. And to be known by God, that is truly the meaning of what it is to be blessed. So because God reveals the standard, and because he makes it accessible to us, may we delight in it, may we meditate on it day and night, may we see the worth of it and just dive into it. Because God is the source, may we root ourselves in him and become fruitful, become prosperous, not for our own sake, but for the sake of others. But more than fruitfulness, more than circumstances, may we primarily concern ourselves with being connected to him as the source. And as God then knows our way, gives us standing with him, may we perceive the blessing that it is not only to be able to know God, although that's a huge blessing, but even more than that, to be known by God, to be cared for by God, to be approved by God, because truly that is the blessed life. Let me pray for us. God, we're grateful to you when you, through the psalmist, Break things down into ways that we can understand and we can simply follow. And I pray that we would look to you and the gift that it is that you know us and that you know our way and that you offer to us the standard by which we can perceive and understand rightly everything else around us. And that you don't just give us a standard and say good luck, but you Commit yourself to us. We can put our roots down deep into you and you can enable us to do everything we need in this life, to give us everything we need in this life, to pursue all you call us to in this life. I pray, God, that we would truly know in a deeper way this morning what it is to be blessed and that we would become a blessing for others. And that our blessing, God, would be a testament to the world of your greatness and your goodness. As we come to this table this morning, we're going to be reminded that we need you as the source. Remind us of what you've offered us in Jesus and his death and resurrection. Help us put our roots down deep into you this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.